Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Platform Enterprise, the show that platforms radical solutions to our living crisis. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm a writer and a journalist. You can find my work over at www.platformenterprise.com and subscribe to get my newsletter and this podcast delivered straight to your inbox every week. On today's episode is designer and activist Charlie Waterhouse. Charlie has done fantastic work for both the Brixton Pound and Extinction Rebellion. And we had a fascinating discussion around alternative currencies, uh, the power of communities, uh, and also how to design a movement. It's an awesome conversation. And if you agree, I would be very grateful if you give the show a five-star review and leave a comment to let us know what you think. Oh, also, you can watch this episode over on Satellite. Head to www.platformenterprise.com, find this episode, and follow the links. All right, everyone, strap in and enjoy the show. Charlie, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So you are the founder of, I mean, or co-founder, perhaps you'd prefer, of quite a few interesting movements across the UK. Um, but I would like to talk first of all about the Brixton Pound. Okay. Yeah. How did yeah. that come about? It's it's been going on what, twelve, thirteen years now? Yeah, it was two thousand and nine. So um not actually a co founder of the pound itself right. because that um yeah, that's that, that started in two thousand and nine. But I was kind of a, around in the in the ether from the start. <laughs> um my direct involvement started um when the pound did its second edition notes and um my day job this ain't rock and roll which is a design and identity consultancy did the did the design for it so we did oh. the the notes that have got david bowie on len garrison violet zarbe and, and all the kind of crazy design and stuff and that then turned into um do, do, doing that design work then sort of turned into just getting involved generally mm. and god almost 10 years on i'm still on the board and we're about to head into a, a newly reinvented 2021 with uh, with putting the pound on the blockchain, which yeah. is really interesting. That is. Um, who yeah. who are you doing that in tandem with? So we're doing that with a setup called the Algorand Foundation. So Algorand, um, as I understand it, were something that was kind of initially incubated by some boffins at MIT. So hopefully that means they know what they're doing. <laughs> and then the foundation is their kind of sort of is the is the is the social good part of of Algorand which is which is the the um the the, the currency. Um but it's it's like a kind of version I think it's version 3 crypto so it's not that kind of awful planet destroying monster that bitcoin is or ethereum is so it's got much it's got it's got almost negligible um energy costs which is handy and and quite exciting i didn't even know crypto could be like that i I falsely assumed that bitcoin and ethereum are what they are because there was no better alternative yet no they're they're, because they're they're because so interestingly the um what was his name nagoshi can't remember the, the euphemism for the, the the sort of pen name of whoever dropped the the paper about about Bitcoin mm. landed about the same time as the Brixton pound turned up. So you have these kind of oh, yeah. two two sort of responses to, to to the financial crisis landing at about the same time, and then mm. you know kind of twelve years later. So yeah, I mean it was it's simply a technology 
thing that the the way that you prove the 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 ledger on on bitcoin's cryptocurrency is is you have to prove that you've done all the all the data transactions yeah so it's so it's an immense um drain on computer processing right okay i understand whereas better. whereas now it's done in in different ways you have a thing called uh, proof of stake rather than proof of work i don't mm. properly understand that bit that bit's not not that interesting because <laughs> it's really kind of boffiny and confusing but um M-I-T-E. But yeah, it's, ex- exactly yeah yeah right you know, before, but, before we get into the the, the crypto thing then let's yeah. go more into the history of the brixton pound then hmm. so yeah. You just said it was created in response to the financial crisis. What was the goal of the project? So it it came out of um, a thing called the Transition Town Network, and at the time, the, the transitions, tra- the whole sort of transition pr- project was really based around how society copes post peak oil. Mm. So the idea that you know natural resources were going to run out. How does society cope? And then, of course, what's happened in the intervening years is it's not a case of coping post-peak oil. It's yeah. it's about, you, no. you know, the shit's got way more serious and, and it's about leaving it in the ground. Um, and so the the idea was is, is really simple, that you have um, a parallel currency that circulates in a local area. And if you use that currency, then by definition, you're spending your money with people who have more of a vested interest in the in the local local area mm-hmm. the really simple example is you spend three quid on a coffee at starbucks and probably 295 goes to remote shareholders mm. almost certainly out the country they've got no interest in anything other than selling more coffee whereas if you spend that three quid with a local business person then you know they hopefully they live in the area they're going to have suppliers that come from the area they're going to kind of reinvest it. And so you get this circular economy where the money circulates and stays in the area that it's, that it's spent. That's the, that's the simple idea. On one level, and the cynics um, were always kind of like, well, it's just like a voucher system. Mm. And it kind of is when it's, when it's pegged directly to the fiat currency. Um, and that's what's really exciting about what we have the potential to, to do now because it's moving it into a different space altogether. And, and eventually you, you can see a, a situation where the Brixton pound isn't pegged to sterling. So there could be some kind of exchange rate. But what also the, the electronic um, element allows us to do is to bring in other forms of local economy. So um, local, um, local economy trading schemes or time banking or, you know, how, how do you how do you sort of how do you give value to things that are difficult to monetize? Volunteering, mm. uh, you know, often sort of stereotyped as the sort of the babysitting economy. That kind of um, that kind of unofficial way of, of of sort of living and coping that sort of sits outside the sort of the economic um, sort of frame. Mm. And I think that that will be really interesting to see how, um, in a world where everything has a price and not much has value, how mm. you can re- try and redress the balance. It sounds a lot like the, um, and I talk about this on the show a lot, but it sounds a lot like the theories of, you know, creating a culture of care, an economy of care, you know, giving value. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we were lucky enough um, as, um, well, in, in a, with a different hat on, we were lucky enough to, to just start to work with David Graeber before he died last year. Mm. And his, his absolute focus 
was about, in a, in a world where production and consumption are so intrinsically linked and are so damaging, how can you replace production and consumption with care and freedom? Mm. And so build, building that, that thing, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's the project for, for all of us, I guess. Is it difficult to um, envision what, what a currency could be or what the, the Brixton pound could be? Do you think that um, there's a certain entrenchment in our current ideals or values that make envisioning, you know, an alternative possibility inc incredibly difficult. I think it is difficult, yeah. But I, 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 but that's the that's the really important thing. It's the imagination, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Brixton pound su has survived when many other local currencies haven't. And that's because I think we always realised, thanks in no small part to to the fact that we had. Bowie on a note, which kind of gave it, it you know, kind of it made it bigger, yeah. it, bigger than it actually was, because it was a sort of became an iconic kind of thing, and it was a yeah. really weird thing, and it made it made money that looked like it was could easily be dismissed. It turned it into something else. It turned it into space money. You know, it's kind of like imagine a world where instead of the Queen or instead of a dead president, you can have. David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust on your money. That's got to be a better place to live, right? And I think, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's the that's the key. It's that you know, it's like uh, was it Einstein the, the Einstein quote where he kind of says that imagination is more more important than knowledge because knowledge is knowledge is is sort of all that we know up to this point, whereas imagination encompasses all that we know and all that we ever will know. And mm. that's the that's the thing. It's vitally important to 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 be able to imagine ourselves in change and imagine that change is possible because we've had nearly 50 years of being told that there is no alternative that neoliberal economics is the only way and everything gets subsumed into into that and even when it's criticized um it's the, that system is really good at sort of absorbing that as as constructive criticism so it ends up being sort of grist to the mill and so we're, we're kept in that kind of space where it's really difficult to to see our way out of it even whilst we know it's killing us. So, yeah. yeah, so so it is really difficult to imagine. But that's why you've got to go and do daft things like like create money that kind of looks like money, but like n nothing you've ever seen before. So that makes a statement. Yeah. It's very punk. I guess, yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's, 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 there's lots of... I'm, I'm quite fascinated with the... With the um, with the kind of the carriers of the flame or the way the kind of lineage of, of, of sort of disruptive people or, you know, kind of goes down through history and you can draw a line. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, very punk or is it very hippie or is it very beatnik or is it very bohemian or is it very, you know, and you, you sort of touch these, these figures in all cultures, wherever you come from, you will have those figures in, in sort of English, in the English narrative, there's a line that goes from Johnny Rotten to William Blake to Shakespeare to wherever you know and it's it'll be the same everywhere yeah you know what's so interesting about all of them is that you know the the, the cultural definition will change according to the period but what defines them yeah. all is it's disruptive mm. yeah 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 you know? it's, it's that kind of uh, that willingness to, to um i don't know like in like in shakespeare's comedies or where where you go off to the to the woods and men dress as women and women dress as men and everything's turned upside <laughs> down and in doing that you kind of are able to see the problems at court in a in a new light and then yeah. go back and resolve them mm, very interesting very um oh what's the um 
what's the Greek god as well? The Greek god of the the wine and the orgies and uh, uh, Bacchus. Bacchus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so tell me then um, about where Graeber helped steer the the conversation then, or or the project while he was on board. Uh, well, well, that, that that was the the work with um, the work with David was we we came across him through um, uh, our involvement in Extinction Rebellion. Mm. Um, so I think where where that steers things and it, it was it was you know it was obviously a, a, a complete blow when he died yeah. and we'd only just got to know him you mm. know and 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 it was that kind of we were going to do so much amazing stuff this year yeah that was the you know nothing that we'd planned in concrete but you know that was the that was the idea um so i don't know that um i don't know that 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 david's had that much of a direct influence on things yet but but i think he he will do and there's a whole there's a whole heap of people wanting to take that work forward and his next book that's going to be out soon um that's more kind of traditionally anthropologically focused is that the, is that mm-hmm. the right way to say mm-hmm. that that's going to be really interesting um you know kind of looking back at ancient societies and you know kind of the, the kind of worlds that we don't get t- taught about in that kind of classic yeah. you know kind of greco-roman tra- trajectory um so i think um i th- i th- i think his i think his influence is going to be unbelievably big over the next few years just because he was able to on one level he was just able to make these enormous things feel really tangible and human yeah. i don't know whether you've seen seen the um the latest adam curtis series no um it's a um yeah, I, th- I think they end up. It was on the BBC, but I think they end up getting, they end up getting um, posted to YouTube fairly, fairly quickly. So you might be able to pick it up in mm-hmm. Holland. It's called um, "Can't Get You Out of My Head," and it's kind of looking at the kind of general sort of chaos of now and how to explain it. But it's bookended by a by a David Graeber quote that that yeah. sort of I'll paraphrase it not very well, but it's kind of the the, the big realization is that we created this world, and so therefore we can easily do it differently yeah or you know or not easily but we can do it and it's that kind of thing that it, it is that kind of simple we are we are part of the system but we're also complicit in that system so we just have to rethink it redo it yes of course i mean and that's like the concertinaing again it's kind of like yeah that's really simple oh fuck how do we do it yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i think it's it's interesting because people always talk about you know change and, and change in behaviors and but it's true. I mean, the civil disobedience of a, a, an individual becoming a group, becoming a mass movement can have huge impacts. And then also, mm. I mean, if just a couple of the elite were to change their behaviors, <laughs> you know, it would completely change the world. It would completely change the world. And that's what social inequality is as well. It's like, it's not just economic, it's the inequality of impact, Yeah, you know? When people have fantastic ideas or people have the right values or the right intentions mm. and they it just doesn't ripple through because yeah. I mean they're yeah blocked into by a, a a neoliberal system essentially yeah 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 no I think that point about about a, a kind of people in the elite is is really important Mark Fisher I think talks about that in capitalist realism really mm. really succinctly he calls it a, a Ratner's moment 
and so that was I don't know whether if it, so so Ratner's was a really sh- crap uh, jewelers high street jewelers that sold um, poor quality jewelry at a, at a low price, but but the stuff was rubbish, and the people that bought it knew it was rubbish. The people that were selling it knew it was rubbish, but everybody mm. was quite happy to carry on mm. with the with that with that understanding. Mm. But it was the moment that Gerald Ratner stood up at his AGM and said that what they were doing was selling crap to people, the company collapsed. Because it was like it was like the, the Emperor's new clothes had been pointed out by the Emperor himself. And he draws allusions to I think it was Khrushchev in Soviet in, in sort of in that post post war Soviet Russia where where he had where Khrushchev, you know, everyone that was living under communism knew it was problematic. Everybody that was looking at communism from outside knew it was problematic. But it was when Khrushchev stood up at the Politburo or whatever and admitted that there were problems in the system that that kind of made perestroika and the fall of the Berlin Wall inevitable, even mm. though it took 30 years or whatever. So it's that kind of thing of like, when things are existing in plain sight, you just have to have a few people who admit that. And it's like, you know, when Toto pulls the curtain back at the end of The Wizard yeah. of Oz and you, and you see yeah. things revealed for what they are, then change things that are seeming, you know, previously felt impossible become inevitable become inevitable mm. that's what happens after a sort of moment of of sort of crisis and scandal the 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 dam bursts and you kind of go what really you know it's like how the, how the hell did the world go through the last few decades knowing that hollywood had a thing called the casting couch and nothing ever happened i don't know about and that then, okay so, so so the idea that 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 that, that, a, that a female actress could could get decent roles and could get to the top by sleeping oh yeah with the wine the yeah. powerful men yeah the wine style. you know and it's yeah. kind of like you know it's just it's in it's yeah. in it's hiding in plain sight mm. and it's just one of those things and you know that it's wrong and etc 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 but it's only then when harvey weinstein gets outed that the me too movement explodes yeah. and it's kind of like how does that work yeah it's not like you couldn't see it before but then after the fact it's kind of like yeah of course this is outrageous what is that? It's this, yeah, like it's this, it's the, the piercing the illusion, going past, I'm thinking in Heideggerian terms, like like going past the veil, you know, in, mm. into the clearing and making just a whole other, another kind of like ontology possible just yeah. by that action. But mm. it's true. How interesting. And I'm thinking so much now of Extinction Rebellion. Right. Which essentially, you know, and a lot like critics don't really understand, like, you know, what are you doing? What, why are you causing, um, you know, why are you causing unrest? Why are you doing this? Why are you breaking things? And it was to draw attention, constantly draw attention until more and more and more and more people draw attention. And the incredible thing about Extinction Rebellion has been how it's taken off in mm. two years. I can't think of any other social movement that has just exploded like that across the globe in such a short um, period of time. Yeah, and it's pretty nuts, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's timing. You know, had it happened a couple of years before, maybe it wouldn't have done. Yeah. But I think the time was, the time was right for it. But also, um, I mean, I feel very strongly that it's, it's part of that um, kind of willingness to exist in, the, in that absurd space that XR has, and certainly evidenced... Co- when it turned up, I mean, the, you know, the idea of a pink boat turning up and blocking a central thoroughfare 
is just I mean it's ridiculous isn't it? Mm. it it but you know when you see it happen it's a it's a kind of a it's a it's a it's one of those wonderful moments that kind of says way more than logical protest or that traditional attritional approach to to resistance sort of says and I can see why I can see why lots of people struggle with that because it's not it's not the way the the kind of the traditional left does things necessarily sure um, but but why would that be the absurdity i mean surely the absurdity would be the fact that you know a hundred corporations are emitting 71 percent of emissions and governments won't do anything yeah, about it yeah 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 totally yeah yeah why is it that citizens standing up for themselves why why is that the absurdity no no i know, I know. <laughs> you know i it's saw nuts, isn't it? i saw the thing that the the action last night um, with the the Barclays um, window mm. being broken or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was funny because I still felt that initial like, ooh, destruction of property thing. And I was like, it's a bank, Rach. Like they can afford it. <laughs> it's, you know, they they have the money to repair the window, but we do. don't have the resources to continue to allow them to fund the awful things that they're doing. No, absolutely, and and also what what it what I love about it is that it takes us straight back to the beginning of the twentieth century, and where the breaking of a window is a is a is a an act of suffragette disobedience as well, mm. and so in terms of the kind of the, the the stock reactions and the things we're 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 wanting people to subliminally think about, is it, things like that, and it's kind of like that that realization that in a in a or that acknowledgement in a in a uh, you know britain's a dystopian hellscape in many respects at the moment you've got a government that's clamping down on on protest yeah. you've got a government that obviously wants to remove rights from people that it that it doesn't doesn't want causing causing it trouble and so to be able to go hang on a sec that's the kind of stuff that used to happen to the suffragettes mhm mhm and you know yeah it's also, the, sit with that? it's also the stuff that used to make, you know, fantastic plot lines for apocalyptic or dystopian fiction. Fiction. Yeah. Mm. You know, imagining that being possible was impossible. Because mm. I think, and I don't know, maybe if this is something to do with like the civil rights movement, but maybe because there was always this hierarchy of rights in that the, the white individual was kind of on top, or in particular the white man. But now mm. that those rights are being eroded as well by economic uh, principles and economic particularities, I wonder if, you know, that kind of neoliberal maw is just coming, it's coming for everyone now. And we're noticing it more, I think, especially people that would have previously perhaps not been affected by most of the the restrictions. Um it's like the, the capitalism and, and neoliberalism, like these principles are just these constantly famished things that need to mm. be fed. Yeah. And with this kind of like disintegration of the middle class and not having a group of people that are majority enough to bubble and mm. um, distract from what's going on, we're, we're really seeing that more and more like, you know, I don't think citizens feel protected by their governments. I don't think they should feel protected by the governments. The illusion is cracking, but mm. what can be done with all of the liberties being taken away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mental. But that's why community work is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. No, t totally. I mean, that, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're, we're having, having autonomy and having, having sort of personal and immediate agency with those around you. And that, I'm hoping, is something that we will see manifest post-lockdown. 
Mm. I mean, who knows? You know, the, the pressure to, to get back on the hamster wheel is going to be enormous. Yeah. Um, you, you know, everybody wants to go on holiday. They want to, you know, you can easily see the machine starting up. But I've got, I've just got, I've got this feeling that in that sort of first period of lockdown when everyone went, ah, oh, there's got to be a new normal and I can hear birds. Yeah. Then there was that kind of, now go back to work. And being forced in Britain especially to sit and stew for a second time, I wonder whether people thought first time round, we want this to be different. But when it actually comes to it, now we, we feel it. And and I'm 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 definitely seeing in I mean I, I live I live in Brixton in South London, which is a relatively relatively kind of small area and, and there's a good network of of, of people community workers activists you know kind of disruptive types and it's you know it's one of one of those kinds of places but i can see that even in 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 a in an area like that the willingness for people to work with each other is beyond what it's ever been before you know whereas previously people were kind of like you know oh, we're all after like a tiny the same slither of grant funding or you know it's my way not your way that that's kind of evaporating so i mean i just i just hope against hope that that's being replicated in every town across across the world. I mean, I've heard it being replicated in communities with individuals. Like I interviewed um, Matt, who co-founded Woodbine in New York, and he said okay. like the pandemic has been amazing for the organization, mostly because yeah. people now have time, like they were getting laid off yeah, yeah. in the United States. Um, yeah, and yeah. people just desperately, A, needed something to fill their day and B, needed to have some kind of autonomy over doing something to, to fight the, the yeah. incoming waves of precarity. And he was like, the, the organization has just exploded. It, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, which has enabled them to like provide food for the most vulnerable, yeah. you know, and provide shelter even over the winter for people. But I didn't know that like um, intra-organizational kind of... Um, What's the word? Cooperation well, yeah, like was on the on the increase. It definitely feels that way, and and I mean, I'd, I'm convinced that, that that sort of transdisciplinary approach to things is is going to be the key. Yeah, you know, it's it's bringing rather because everybody sort of plows their own furrow. You have your own specific area of of, of sort of interest and expertise, and and then, and especially in the kind of world, the social media driven sort of algorithmic world we live in you get ever more focused in on on your things yeah. don't you and you don't necessarily you don't take in outside influences as easily as one might and i think that's that's going to be key to to have that alchemy between you 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 have a someone that understands economics or politics working with an artist working with a uh, like a, a, a healthcare professional working with it, and you know, doing that kind of that kind of thing. There's a there's a wonderful um, sort of activist, academic artist in the states. God, what's her name? Uh, I've got her book here, Cassie Cassie Thornton, and she's written this book called The Hologram. Yeah. We've got this concept called the hologram, and she came across that in uh, this idea in Greece post post the the, the 2008 crash that. As the Greek healthcare system was collapsing, if you went to a doctor, you wouldn't just go and see a doctor. You would see um, a doctor and a social worker and a therapist, and you'd see three people. Yeah. 
And so you weren't immediately walking into a medicalized space. You, You were walking into a space that kind of you were just an incomer and you were presenting your concerns. And it mm. might be that it was something that was dealt, medic- dealt with medically or therapeutically or, or from, a, from a social work point of view. But until you talked to all three people, you didn't know. And so she's creating this idea of the hologram where the hologram is actually you have three friends and you each support each other. And over a period of time, you get to know your, your nuances and your foibles and your challenges and how best to deal with them. But there's no no kind of hard and fast rules about how things get sorted out but that in doing that you have sort of a group of four people and each one of those four people then has other people has other people has other people and you just grow this interdependent resilience Mm. at at ground level and it's just really simple there's a lot of that coming up at the moment um that kind of idea of like self-management even um in management theory a guy called um frederick frederick laloux i think um right. he wrote about this teal management system which oh, okay. is this, yeah 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 have you heard of it i've heard of heard of teal yeah. yeah yeah so this idea where like people don't have roles and they don't they're not in departments and they're not in teams but they they mm. each come with a with a skill set and yeah. whatever project or problem arises these people in the company all self-organize to like who's yeah. the best to respond to this particular situation and then yeah. leadership as well is very, very fluid and flexible. And there's only a handful in the companies that um, are working with it. One of them being Starbucks, who you mentioned um, earlier, right. actually, which is really interesting. And I think United Airlines in the United States. I don't right. know, but these companies have seen huge success with mm-hmm. um, essentially destroying the concept of hierarchy and empowering people to fulfill whatever needs to be fulfilled. Just goes to prove you can be an anarcho decentralized fan and still run an airline. <laughs> We're doomed. We're doomed. <laughs> no, but Eve, I think it's I think it's a good u- I think it's a good use case. Yeah. I think it's a great example. Mm. And I think especially when, you know, the easiest way to um to attack the left, capital T, capital L, or attack activists, or attack anybody who dares, you know demand better or think differently is to say mm. well it's not realistic well hang on no, a second absolutely. starbucks says yeah. it is <laughs> yeah you know no totally <laughs> yeah again that cross-disciplinary approach i've heard about the hologram yeah. i haven't i haven't gotten my hands on it mm. yet but you're the i think third person to mention it to me so i must i must get on it um yeah. no it's good one of the things i wanted to ask you about with the brixton pound right mm. is the praxis of it i.e how did you get people to agree to start using it? Like, how did you get, and maybe not individuals, but businesses, because it's so complicated yeah. for businesses. If, they, if their supply yeah. chain is, is long and at one point they have to pay money and then at the end point, they're not receiving sterling, they're receiving something else. How did yeah. you convince people? So um, I think on, on, on one level, that is that's the abiding challenge of that kind of first iteration of local currencies because because they're pegged to the to the national currency mm. and because you're constantly challenged you don't have the resources um to you know in Brixton it certainly it was a, always a voluntary organization so you're constantly managing those challenges <clears throat> so there's a hell of a lot of work 
involved in in doing that so it's so it's knackering and a lot of the schemes that have fallen by the wayside happen because you've got a like a, a management board that sets things up and then disappears and they don't have the succession planning so the so that that kind of that personal um input disappears um and then you've got the then you've got that kind of um you know it's like the kind of finger in the dike kind of approach that it's like you're what you're doing is is kind of so small compared to the to the system that you're you're kind of up against that that it's really hard to get that kind of to get people convinced to 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 use things what um what worked for us in brixton there were several there were several practical levers um the council agreeing for business rates to be paid in brixton pounds wow so that businesses could could you know kind of get their money out when they needed to but of course the that then is something of a pyrrhic victory because you're you're basically just kind of going oh you can play with this for as long as you want to but don't worry there's some real money behind it right. so you're yeah. so you know there's the artifice in there and that's where where the kind of the the, the currency as an idea uh, always loomed larger than than currency as a as an actual tool mm. um i'll come back to that in a sec um good relationships with good relationships with local businesses you know kind of a few people in the team who just knew everybody mm. so you're having conversations with people all the time so it was a social thing that encouraged use but i think that the reason i'm convinced of this the reason that the brixton pound is still around now after after 12 years or whatever where other currencies have either disappeared or, or are unrecognizable is because we allowed ourselves to get distracted quite quickly so it was never just about the the currency we constantly had daft ideas. So um, we've got, oh, oh, we've got this currency. What can we do next? Well, let's start a lottery. So we started a lottery, and it's kind of like, okay, if we start a lottery, what do we do with the what do we with the lottery? And we realised that people that won the lottery didn't take the winnings. <laughs> they kind of let us keep them. That was amazing. It was like that's not how lotteries work. This is brilliant. So 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 then we set up a bonus fund because we can reinvest the profits from the lottery plus the fact that the winners don't claim their winnings into giving micro grants to activists or local community organisations that are too disorganised and too small to ever get any money from anyone else. So we invested in in that. So it was like the world's most hapless kind of seed funding. So it was like someone would turn up and go, I've got a mad idea. And we'd go, great, do you want 500 quid? And they'd go, yeah. <laughs> and so we did that. And then um, uh, the... There's a there's a couple of railway lines that go through the centre of Brixton, lots of railway arches, and the company that or the network rail, the organisation that looked after the arches was redeveloping them. And we knew one of the local businesses was a cafe, and they wanted to get out. They wanted to get out, but they wanted to to not get out, so they couldn't get compensated. So they said, "Could you do us a favour and look after our shop for us, whilst we go and." do other things mm. and so we took over this arch and we thought oh my god we've got an arch what do we do with that we can't let that go to waste and so it was like so we turned into like a like a started putting on poetry readings or it was like oh it's like it's on a, it's got a shop front so let's can we sell stuff so we kind of made t-shirts and then sort of sold t-shirts for other people and and uh, you know it's kind of things like that and then the um the arch came to um the arch came to an end and we thought, well, we quite liked that experience. Let's see if we can find anywhere else. And we found a, 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 a place just up the road, which had been a cafe. It was like, excellent. 
what would a cafe look like if the Brixton Pound was to have a cafe? So we set up this cafe that um, was pay as you feel and um, only used food that would otherwise have gone into landfill. And it was also veggie and vegan. So it was a veggie vegan cafe using food that was about to be thrown away that you didn't have to pay for if you didn't want. Wow. Again, the world's worst business model. But in doing that, we set up, we had this amazing community hub. And then, and then it was like, oh, and let's, let's make sure that we give work experience to people with um, like loads of neurodiverse people. Mm. So it was this wonderful otherworldly space that you would go into. And you kind of, you walked in and you either went, what am I doing here? I'm never coming here again. Or you walked in and felt like you'd come home. Mm. And so you had this amazing space where where all kinds of like excellent, dysfunctional, open-minded, marginalised people. We had people on day release from the local mental hospital rubbing shoulders with, you know, kind of retired grannies. You know, people could turn up and get food. You know, we had people who didn't have, didn't have any money who could just come and get food, and there were mm. other people who would pay twice as much as they should for for, for them, and it just worked brilliantly. So, um, so in terms of praxis, what we ended up doing was not really running a local currency. We were this, you know, we we are we are this kind of um, you know kind of crazy social thing mm. that just happens to have some money with pictures of David Bowie on, and also two notes with black faces on as well, which is like an amazing. An amazing thing for for, for for London as well. There was a there was a brilliant Vice article um, when when the notes were first launched, where Vice, being Vice and uh, you know totally full of themselves, but also quite funny, took Brixton pounds down to to Cold Harbour Lane to see if they could score drugs off the local dealers. And to their credit, the dealers were like, uh, "No, we only take we only take like real money, mate." But these notes look really good, and it's good to see the see some brothers and sisters on money for a change. <laughs> <laughs> but you should probably spend it in the in the uh, in the farmers market down the road. <laughs> so so yeah, praxis um, is really is really terrible, isn't it? When you when you're um, you know when when you don't have the resources and you're you're kind of you're doing this David and Goliath battle with a system that can just throw people and time and resources at at the thing that you're trying to. You're trying to um, undermine. Undermine, yeah, yeah. So that that inspired um, that inspired a, 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 some thinking about if you know, even if everybody in Brixton was to use the Brixton pound, capitalism was not going to come begging on its knees in penance. And if the local currency grows so that it's in every town and every city then do you just become the thing that you're seeking to undermine anyway yeah. so that sparks a sort of period of thought where it's like well maybe what we don't what one doesn't do is you don't you don't apply the the same um sort of business models to this but but what what you're actually doing maybe is is exporting values rather than rather than sort of economics yeah. and so we had we did this daft thing where we invented a country and it was a, we called it a nation state of mind called brixtopia <laughs> where it didn't matter where you came from Everybody could be a could could be a member of Brixtopia and could be a Brixtopian citizen as long as he signed up to there was like a kind of a, an eighteen point manifesto that was basically built around being you know kind of excellent and kind and loving and accepting and all, all of those kinds of things and that was that was um, that was quite interesting um, and we did you know kind of daft sort of art interventions and you know kind of just just played around with things but it's quite funny how now one can look at um, I, I look at uh, at um, a lot of what's happened in XR and kind of go, yeah, that's 
that's that's why we were doing Brickstopia. It was to to get ready for this kind of stuff. And you see lots of people that have come from that. So I know you've spoken to to Claire Farrell. We did we we worked with her and her body politic. Um, uh, project around you know kind of making the body a, an instrument of protest and stuff mm. and, and we worked together on Brickstopia and, and doing that kind of thing and sort of bringing all these seemingly daft pieces of sort of art that you know on the face of it give people a nice time but don't really kind of mean anything it was all just like that's part of that sort of pre- preparation for 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 what's happened with, with, with XR in, in you know in, in part certainly from that that creative side I wonder, it seems vital to have taken that direction, to first have created Brickstopia and and the Brixton Pride and these social organizations where the most important thing is to be a good community member and to support your community. And then saying that the next step of that is the civil disobedience is the unrest, is the destruction, you know, the the saying no. Because I think so many people would think it's the other way around. You know, first you shout and you yell and you try and get what you want and then you try and build something good, you know, once you've gotten your your hands mm. on the conch. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and when you look at, you know, people talk about, you know, communism and the USSR and oh, it's just, you know, communism done wrong, which, you know, in terms of Graeber's everyday communism, yes, of course, it's communism done Mm. wrong. But they didn't try, you know, that group of men didn't try to be good and then didn't figure out how to be the best they could possibly be and then try and change their country. They tried to change their country in order to figure out how can we be the best we can be and it resulted in terrible, terrible violence. Yeah, and I wonder if that's the difference with this community-run approach as opposed think, to political. I think well, it's the it's the twin difference, isn't it, of approaching it that way? If you if you can't if you can't visualize what you're heading towards, how do you know when when you've got there? Mm. So you've got to do it that way. And then I think the other thing is, as 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 you just said, it's that group of men. You know, and if um, it's it's almost certainly time for us men to kind of go look we had a crack at it it didn't go very well <laughs> would you like to have a go mm. without without sounding patronizing but you know what i mean yeah. and we, one of the most amazing things and, and it's been quite weird for us in the in the art group in xr is we've 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 come across quite regularly um uh, sort of indigenous elders which has been totally bizarre because it's not a world that any of us have inhabited before we kind of we that's just weird and we kind of like the fact that it's weird but we repeatedly get told that 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 what's happening now is um and i I think this is american wisdom is that is that the condor is going to meet the eagle and and it's i know it sounds (laughs) sounds amazing doesn't it but uh, but but the way the way i understand it and i might be wrong is that we've had this kind of we've had these few centuries of of patriarchy and i you know you can look back and maybe you can date it back to to the, the the rise of of print and you know the after the rise of print what the second second best selling book after the bible was the guide to witch finding and you know that kind of yeah. you know so there was that you know so we've had that we've had that that period of the patriarchy right really fucking everything up mm. and what's what's going to happen now isn't a kind of a complete tip back to a matriarchal world it's going to be it's going to come in into some kind of balance mm. 
Because, and I think that's very important to note, the idea would not be to just go to the the, the binary opposite because it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not about man and woman or male and female in terms of sex. It's about the values that we've ascribed to these genders. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we've, yeah. and we've all got, to a greater or lesser degree, male and female traits inside us. So it's, so it's just about being in harmony. Yeah. 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 How interesting. Yeah. The eagle and the being condor. Being kind of a weird... Yeah, exactly. Being a, being a weird indigenous hippie from time to time has been one of the big eye-openers. Amazing. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Right, it is an eye-opener, surely, because we have this, like, you know, thing that the, the West essentially dominates culturally. Yeah. So much so that, you know, capitalism has infiltrated China as much as it would like to pretend otherwise. You know, yeah. like, and we, because, I don't know, because we, our, our needs are met... We tend to assume, you know, we have the most developed economies, not collaborative economies or human economies, but just economy economies. Um, so therefore, you know, we're the most ahead and, and we have to be the people to figure it out because, because we're so far ahead. We have to sort the rest of the world out, you know. Yeah. But surely there is a lot to be found in other anthropological models and modes of being and of organizing. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Thousands of years of wisdom. <laughs> you know, we 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 struggle for our knowledge to go back. You know, the best we get most of the time is, you know, in Britain you go, you know, if you're lucky, you go back to the time of Christ that nobody really understands. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get the odd Roman ruin, and then it's a jump to to Stonehenge yeah. that no one has a clue about. You know, and it's kind of we're totally we're totally distanced from from anything else. But really, and I I I, I mean I guess it's broadly similar across great swathes of, of of Europe. You go back, certainly in Britain, a thousand years, ten sixty six, when the current ruling family started properly setting themselves up, and then after that you have that whole enclosure of 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 the commons. You know the kind of the remo the removal of 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 the people's relationship to the land that they mm. that they're born of and and that's where the story of separation in in britain starts it's kind of what we're doing on an industrial scale all over the world now I and mean, obviously we've been doing it for for quite you know certainly certainly since the industrial revolution but that's kind of that's sort of what happened to us earlier so it's all you know that 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 wisdom is crucial because it because it will enable us to understand that we are not just products of industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, so again, that if we continue that, to be, you know, we won't have a a planet to have any industries on. Yeah. So yeah. it's very much become an existential problem as well. Totally. Yeah. 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 How interesting. Do you think that the future has to be community-led? Like lots of different um, pockets of communities? I think, it, I think it... I think it'd be a lot more pleasant if it is. Mm. I think it'd be a much nicer place to live. Um, and I think, like, I mean, in, um, in Holland at the moment, you've got sort of Amsterdam building its planning approach around Kate Raworth's donut economics yeah. and you've got you've got Paris talking about the 15 minute city where everything is closer and and I think being able to do that that's yeah this kind of idea that you have to sort of get on a in your car or on a train and travel for an hour to your place of work to then travel back and be 
you know, only having community at weekends. And that's, that's kind of not how we, that's not how we really want to live. Mm. And I think being, having a lot of those kind of uh, privileged distractions removed from us over the last year has been amazing. A number of people that are kind of going, you know, I don't, I don't want as many friends mm. now. I'm much more self, self-reliant than I ever thought I was. And, you know, that kind of thing is like, that's really weird. You know, on the face of it, that yeah. sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like, oh, you're a bit of a miserable old sod, aren't you? But actually, no, it's, it's just about not being, not being constantly distracted and not being, you know, in that kind of never-ending, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. you know, yeah, melee. Yeah. Like of, overstimulated of like, you know, all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think on the other end as well, the people that have said, I need my friends. You know, oh, this, yeah. this real combat of, you know, individualist society being like, no, that's not how this is meant to work. Because, I mean, yeah. everyone I know, like, our mental health is flat. Well, <laughs> I'm okay because I get to have all these interesting conversations with people mm, like mm. you. <laughs> but, like, generally, everyone's mental health is really, really flatlining because we're not totally. meant to be locked away from each other. It's not locked up, locked away yeah. from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, but it's but it's about making those interactions count, isn't it? And I think it's that mm. kind of um, you know that everybody can now agree that living life in a Zoom meeting is not good. But then I also kind of go like we have conversations like this. That's amazing. Yeah. But but repli- But that's the that's the bit where technology allows you to have a conversation across borders. You know, time zones and borders. Yeah. Um, when you're taking a dysfunctional office meeting into an online space where you're kind of going, this is making me really tired, and those kind of little quirks that I used to find quite funny in the office are now just really annoying. Mm. You know, that's that kind of thing where you move into, I mean, again, Graeber, the whole sort of bullshit jobs kind of idea of what what are we supposed to be spending our, our time on whilst mm. we're here? And it's not justifying justifying ourselves in an economic system yeah it's absolutely not what it is yeah absolutely i completely agree with you you know the uh, the final sort of thing that i want to get into with you is Mm. because you're a designer i want to talk about um first of all the design of the brixton pound like why you 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 Mm. chose to make it the way that it is and then also um designing disobedience designing protests yeah. Because I think that too often people assume disobedience or, you know, is essentially just a, an emotional reaction and unprepared. Whereas in a yeah. lot of what you're saying, I can hear and I can now see the examples of protests in which there is this design thought that's coming through all of it, how to make it effective. Um, and yeah. I'd be very interested to hear more about that. So first, the pound. Yeah, the pound. Uh, yes. So when you see the the Brixton pound notes, you kind of see that they're recognisably money. Mm. So, I mean, partially that's just doing a decent design job. You know, design graphic design answers a brief in it, and it has a inherently it has functionality built into it. So we took the approach that we were going to consciously follow the received design rules around around currency which means that you have prominent figures you have prominent landmarks and you kind of you kind of try and reflect the area that that your money comes from in Mm. in 
in money for. But then pull the rug from all of those things. So prominent landmarks were graffitied walls. Um, prominent people were black faces, women, space aliens, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So so you looked at it and go, that is money. I, I intrinsically understand what to do with this. But really? Yeah. Can this happen? Yeah. And then you go, yeah, you can spend this in 200 places around here. And that's the mind-blowing moment where you kind of go, shit. I didn't know that was possible. So, so it's kind of using using um, using sort of design almost against itself, because the temptation would be to kind of totally reinvent it and make it look unlike anything else, and shifting into a different space. But that then would render the the statement less less powerful, I think, because we 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 absolutely knew that that what we had to design had to be better than the alternative mm. so to do that you had to be recognizable recognizable as, as what it was mm. so it's kind of being really conscious of, of of the power of that and and, and it was similar then with the way we approached um, the xr work i mean it went hand in hand we, we were lucky enough to be involved right from the start and so we were involved with the naming and everything else on on from that and that went hand in hand with the kind of strategic thinking and the research that had gone into it as well. So, so we were able to kind of reflect all that. So it was a properly joined up job. Um, but we knew that A, we wanted to give it away as quickly as possible. So the only rules are use the symbol or the logo, the colors and a couple of typefaces. Mm. Apart from that, go and go and do whatever so that's the kind of they're the rules with lots of other assets if you want to use them you can but you don't have to um and so that i mean i don't know what at last count just from our from our um we transfer we've had that downloaded about ten thousand times wow. I mean, God knows how you know how else it then gets distributed after that um so that so that was um that was the kind of antithesis of the way you normally do these things you normally kind of have these rules and you write up the guidance and you kind of go you have to follow these rules so that everything looks the same mm. but we did the polar opposite um so that that was important um but then also we we kind of knew that if xr was going to land it had to be able to cope with lots of different people coming it was going to be this kind of umbrella canopy and you would you would attract people interested in politics or economics or environmentalism or animals or veganism or spirituality or you know and all of these people would need to come to this movement and so we needed something that would happily accommodate all those different voices so that inspired the kind of the simplicity of things um things like multiple colors so that it looked diverse it wasn't just a green movement yeah um and also the um the the symbol which we didn't design we we sort got permission to to use it it already existed as as an extinction symbol but it works really well mm. you know it's got it's got that kind of literal literal meaning but it's also got that iconic kind of heft that that sort of center of gravity that you know immediately it was like yeah well the, the, this is going to flutter on flags above people's heads and it kind of didn't matter what what the people looked like or what they were holding on their placards or what they were chanting but but the fact that they were holding a the the flag with the symbol on it was going to was going to be enough to unite this kind of disparate sort of gaggle of people and that's i mean that that's been amazing so i mean you know when you see i don't know 
there are some just mind-blowing pictures of like children in the occupied Gaza Strip with handmade placards with the symbol on mm. or I mean there's been there's been actions in in Nigeria this week and you know it's kind of like total um ease of access to the materials and and some of it you kind of immediately recognize and some of it you is totally appropriate to the to the place that it springs up in mm. it's uh yeah I mean a, a complete um decentralized experiment of kind of going okay well, here's this stuff yeah it might be useful yeah but it's funny than... how it's all recognizable it's funny that whatever whatever it is that is encapsulated in the design is so universal for everyone that that's what they use you know there's i, yeah. I mean there's been no kind of iteration that's been alien no and I, and i think i think key to that's probably the naming right because i think um i think it identifies the problem as a universal problem you know extinction doesn't just affect people in bangladesh or people in alaska you know that that affects everybody and everything and everything and and it runs trans species as well so it's kind of like you know we can't just go oh well we can lose the insects but we'll be all right <laughs> so it's that that kind of scale of things but then attaches it to rebellion and it attaches it to agency and says we don't want you to fill out a, a survey we don't want you to send a petition we don't want you to write to your mp we don't want you to sit at home and think you can't do anything and be helpless we want you to get off your backside and be an open rebellion at this system and that um that kind of that agency that sort of being able to do something is the startings of then starting to kind of paint that kind of more hopeful picture so it's not hope um that's devoid of any kind of optimism it's hope that's built out of actually just doing something mm. and it's kind of like and it, and in that respect that's that's kind of you, you, that's a no lose situation because you know okay if 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 the world is going to end in a fireball in two weeks time we're going to have a really lovely two weeks working with each other and doing great things and it's going to be better than just sitting moping at home mm. so it's that kind of there's that there's that sort of um you know kind of hopelessness that that is at the center of it that actually delivers the some some semblance of a better way to to do things and mm. then of course if we win we win and then it's great yeah yeah it's amazing what you can do when you just empower people to to take responsibility for i don't know for their own situation rather than waiting for their I've been calling yeah. it with some friends neo feudal overlords <laughs> well yeah totally yeah 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 what would you um say to to young activists actually at the you know something inspiring what would you say to people that want to go out and do something and maybe they don't know where to start or they, they don't know how to or how to find a community even given the lockdown? What would you say to them? Yeah, well, I mean, finding the community, I suppose, is <clears throat> is the first thing. And I guess, you know, kind of the the younger people are much more able to, to, to do that. They're digital natives. Yeah. So that community can be found um, even whilst you're locked away from other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say just do that. Ha have daft ideas and don't let old farts that look like me tell them that they can't do it. And the other piece of advice is don't wait in, as long as as a lot of us did 
to pull your finger out and do it yeah okay i love that that's the theme that runs through all of you like this daftness this daring to be absurd it's not this like you don't have to think out you know from point a to point z you just you have to no you just do you just do it and and again that's and and it is it is daft and it's absurd but it's also kind of it's fundamental as well and 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 for me that goes again we mentioned shakespeare earlier that's going right back to 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 the the idea of the fool at court so you can be you can be bizarre you can be stupid you can be funny and you can not be taken seriously but by being all those things you can also have access to court and you can say the truths that need to be said because nobody else will the courtiers they're too busy looking after themselves and 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 trying to advance their own their own agendas or whatever so they will always and we see it in science we see it in academia the 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 more powerful you get the 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 as you go up through the ranks, the more beholden you are to, to, to behaving because you don't want to, you don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want your peers to think less of you. You don't want to cut off access to funding. And so the, and therefore the more conservative you get, the more successful you are. Whereas if you just sort of burst out and go, had this great idea, what do you think? Let's just go and do it and don't care. That's where you can, you can do anything. What an amazing note to end on. <laughs> thank you so much. I think that's wonderful, Charlie. I really, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thanks. It's been lovely. Oh, it's been great chatting. speaking to you. It's really good. Uh, yeah, uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> oh, well, it, no, it's, it, it, really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell me, before we end, who would you like to platform? I think, and I haven't tipped them off to this. Excellent. But I think you should speak to a wonderful filmmaker called Mark Silver. Mark Silver. Why? Because he has a similarly time-travelling, borderless perspective on things. And he's done a lot of work with uh, the whistleblowers from... Uh, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, Chris Wiley, and is doing a project with Shoshana Zuboff at the moment about about surveillance economy and things like that. But he's also spent a long time working in the Amazon. And so he's got this amazing kind of perspective of, of yeah, so he's, he's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speak to him, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be up for it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Charlie, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. No, thank you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching or listening. If you loved that, which I'm sure you did, please leave us five stars and also subscribe to Platform Enterprise over at www.platformenterprise.com. You can also find Charlie and his work over at thisaintrockandroll.com, which I'll put links to. Uh, Or if you're lucky, honestly, you'll just catch him somewhere in Brixton enjoying a coffee and an amazing chat. (laughs) Oh, And before I go, uh, I'm actually looking for writers, artists, photographers, videographers, uh, anybody who is interested in making sense of our living crisis. If that's you, if you're interested in being published internationally on a new platform that's launching this summer, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at rachel at theimpossible.media. Hmm leaving out a mystery there. Okay, everyone, thank you. See you next week.